Hi, Emma. Hi, you doing? Good, all right. How are you doing? My brain has gone squishy and I feel like it might be made of mint. <laughs> um, because I have been reading political philosophy for days. It's uh, a lot. It There's a lot. It's a lot. So much. It turns out you can't really read about the history of human rights without considering all the philosophy behind human rights and the contradictions that are associated with that. And it is just, yeah, it's exhausting. Uh, so God knows what I'm going to say today here <laughs> on History is Sexy, the podcast where we tell people that history is sexy, which we've definitely done at the beginning of this episode. <laughs> um, what, what, so what's the question? What's the question that has got okay, us? So the question is from Samuel Lawrence, mm-hmm. um, and he has asked us, how did the idea that all humans have rights become widespread? Yeah. Um, which I was like, okay, that seems fairly straightforward. Um, which it is in a way, and that it's pretty linear. Yeah. Um, but in the kind of way where it is linear conversations about political philosophy. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah. And, um, and political philosophy is really hard. I would argue that it hasn't necessarily become widespread in that the most that I can see is that we're at the point now where most people have accepted that they as individuals have rights and therefore they will grudgingly allow that other people probably should have rights as well. See, whereas I would argue that in comparison to even like 250 years ago, that is, that's widespread. Um, mm-hmm. That most people will go, all right, fine, I suppose you can have a right. Um, <laughs> like even if it's just a right to life, that is significantly better than when like eight people were like, I think everyone should have the right to vote. And everyone else was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> you absolutely... Uh, have we ever thought that slavery might be bad? Uh, what lunacy is this? <laughs> <laughs> so, all in all, um, there has been... It's definitely got better. It did, however, take quite a long time and also quite a... Um, shall we say a lot of atrocities to get there? Yeah, it seems that the, the, the journey of the development of the idea of universal human rights is precipitated by two things, which are, number one, the increasingly... Exi- increasing accessibility of education and number two just people doing absolutely horrible horrible things to each other every time (laughs) people do a horrible thing to people there's a moment afterwards where everyone goes hold up maybe that that was bad actually and we shouldn't do it kind of Mm. yeah yeah of course the right to education is itself a human right which was not considered to be a human right for a long time what we're going to talk about we're going to talk through it by first, kind of, what exactly are human rights as we understand them now? Um, then we're going to have to talk philosophy and talk about universalism and natural law and natural rights mm-hmm. for a minute. Um, which, if anybody out there is a philosopher, maybe just skip this up. I'm <laughs> definitely going to mangle it. Like, I'm not a philosopher, I'm a historian. <laughs> uh, but I'm going to do my goddamn best. Yeah. Um, and then we're going to talk about basically the big old waves of um, progress for human rights. Um, and um, a large part of this is drawn from a book by um, a woman with the quite delightful name of Michelin Islay. It's a great name. Um, it is a really nice name. I just like to say it. Um, 
called The History of Human Rights, who draws her structure from the structure um, put together by one of the guys who drafted the Universal Declaration of Human Rights from 1948, whose name was René Cassin. And he drew it, his structure, from a kind of metaphorical description of the French Revolution. So that is, and that is a good uh, description of this episode. Um, because everybody is building on what somebody else said previously. Yeah. Um, so that is the kind of structure. So basically the structure is going to be liberty, equality and fraternity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll try try our best uh, not to get lost in the weeds of John Locke or something. <laughs> um, so the first thing that you need to understand for human rights is the concept of universalism. Um which is the idea that some ideas have a universal application because they are fundamentally and inherently true. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. For everyone. Which sounds fine, yeah. yes, but it's actually um, much like a lot of things which sound very easy when you say them, really hard to actually apply. Um, yeah. But basically it argues that there is a there are some ideas which are true for everyone and for all places and all times um, and which are um, completely true at all times and in all places, kind of like mathematical formulas. The things that people seem to like tend to advance as true for all people and all times and all things um, are immediately usually found to have some kind of time when they're not, essentially. <laughs> so... All humans can be saved is Christian universalism. So all people, regardless of where you start your life, you can be saved by the love of Christ. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's Christian universalism. Um, and that makes it a universalist religion, unlike other some other religions, which are like, no, you fucking can't. Uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, but most religions are universalist in that everybody has a chance to be saved or to have the religion or some religions like... Um, Hinduism, sometimes of Hinduism, and like all religions are Hinduism in disguise. Um, you might not know that you're a Hindu, but you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it also refers to the notion that humans are all part of the same community of the human race, which has a communal purpose and communal rights because we all have the same thing in common, which is that we are human. Which is like, you know, you, yeah. We, that is true. We are all humans. It sounds very basic now, um, yeah. but is actually quite quite a radical proposition at various times in yeah. uh, in life. And also, at various different times in history, when people have said this in philosophy, they have the word human uh, has not necessarily actually encompassed everybody. <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we are looking at you, Rome. We are looking at you, literally everyone. Um, <laughs> but Rome, yes. Um, and, you know, even things like the French Revolution and the American Revolution, uh, which we'll talk about a lot, are um, it, when they're saying humans, like, oh, yeah, we all totally are part of the commonality of humanity and all men are equal and da da da. What they mean is white guys who own property. Including, um, and their property does include other humans. Mm hmm. Um, yes, it does. Yeah. Uh, and they will happily talk about these things like um, that everybody is a member of the human race um, and therefore everybody um, has that uh, as a kind of um, 
overarching thing that we all have in common and therefore we should all come together in peace and love and blah 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 mm-hmm. um which is grand um and this is kind of where human rights is uh concerned is mostly expressed through stoicism um which is a greek and roman philosophy the greek forms and the roman forms are slightly different um and i love to take the piss out of stoicism <laughs> uh, because it's funny to me because a lot of it is um i don't know if you've ever read marcus aurelius uh, uh I, I i have not uh funnily enough uh, there is so marcus aurelius wrote this thing called the meditations when he was emperor which is like little aphorisms that he wrote to himself mm-hmm. about how like oh you can't um you can't affect things that are happening in the world, but you can affect how you feel about them. So if you just don't feel bad about them, then that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Life hack. Um, yeah. Um, and a lot of it is about kind of suppressing feelings and being governed by reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so emotions are temporary, but reason is forever. And there's a lot of stuff that's like, you know, don't let it bother you. Um, there's a really, really good bit in um, Danny Lavery's book, where he rewrites Marcus Aurelius's meditations, which are taken by kind of a certain type of person to be like terribly, terribly serious. Mm-hmm. Uh, which this is, how is he like wrote. this is like the the Enlightenment's core delight, right? Is this sort of bullshit? Yeah, they love reason. Yeah. Um, everything can be decided by reason. You can just reason stuff out. Yeah. Um, you could, and you don't really need like the concept of evidence is not there um that's a whole big enlightenment (laughs) argument Um, but reason um and reason over feelings is very big um, and people today still love that but basically daniel avery rewrote them as like um a diary to himself in the form of a teenage girl like today i am not going to let anybody hurt my feelings doesn't matter what anybody else says (laughs) and it's amazing yeah Uh, and if you've read marcus aurelius it's very very funny um (laughs) But anyway, that's basically what stoicism is. But it also um, has this whole element that's about like how to build a, a functioning government um, and how to build uh, what the world should look like. And it's very obsessed with the concept of um, natural law, mm-hmm. um, whereby there are certain laws and a concept of justice and goodness which exists outside of humans and is the same for everybody um and that people um are conferred by either god or nature depending on how you want to express it Mm -hmm. but that you are born with natural laws which govern everything Um, right so basically you have an internal moral compass that Mm. always tells you the truth about everything Kind of, um, and but that there are like um, like natural justice, for example, would be that women are subordinate to men. Sure, yeah, uh, that kind o- of obviously, of course they are. Obviously, um, but also um, one of the kind of foundational things of Stoicism was that um, human beings should not be separated by nations or by cities with specific laws because laws are created by man and they are custom and they're useless um right. but should be founded on natural laws um which are considered to be fundamental sure um and universal which is one of those the- points of view that sort of takes as read that the p- particular opinions held by that person are the natural law that everyone should be following 
Um, yeah. Which is <laughs> definitely how I feel as a person. I think that I should be given a benevolent dictatorship and I would set the world to rights. But I do acknowledge that that's not actually uh, true. <laughs> yeah. That is a feeling oh. born out of my own opinions. About, yes. Mm. Um, unfortunately, because of the... Um, the joy of reason like reason as the foundation of like reason is the most natural law at all that everyone had that what separates man from beast is the ability to reason mm. um, and therefore reason is the most natural thing of humans when we get to thomas aquinas um and he is drawing from um stoicism to a large extent he says that everybody has reason within them all people can reason them um, and that is what separates man from beast. Mm-hmm. Therefore, reason is the divine spark or the image of God within us. Mm-hmm. Therefore, all human lives have a divine spark and therefore all human lives are sacred and of infinite value. Yeah, sure. Therefore, all humans have an equal and basic God-given set of natural rights. Sure. I Unfortunately, think. all of those rights happen to be uh, only focused on the white guys. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. this is the this is the I think I think it's worthwhile taking a moment to just talk about the distinction between like a vague sense of of uh, people as deserving to be treated well, which has existed for it, like ever. Like a lot of religions are founded on some form of be nice to people, and people will be nice to you. And laws as a concept are partly there to protect each person's rights from being impinged on by other people, depending on what, you know, rights are upheld as important during that time. The idea of universal human rights as something that is separate from race and gender and everything and class and, and that, that applies to everyone, regardless of who they are, every single human person that's relatively When these people are writing about this, that is what they think they mean. Yeah, they do think that they mean um, everybody, but they've missed the step of acknowledging that not everybody. They've missed is the step like of them. acknowledging it because <laughs> it takes a long time to get there. Yeah, um, and it kind of first you have to get through Christian universalism. But the most important thing is that this concept of universalism that everybody has this is not actually that widespread. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a philosophical idea that is largely connected to Stoicism and then becomes connected to Christianity because Christianity draws a lot on um, Greek Stoicism. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, Paul goes around saying things like there's no Jew and Greek, no slave and free, no male and female. Da, da, da. Um, like everybody has a chance to be saved. And he literally means everybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's when it starts to get um, kind of genuinely universalized to everybody. Mm. Um, but the idea of universalization universalization of universalism is a is a philosophical position that not everybody holds for a very 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 long time Mm -hmm. um and it is something that has to be argued a lot um and it's argued from the position of reason but it, it does have to be argued um and a lot of people if you ask them would say no uh, <laughs> uh like no though that's not true at all um some people like you know people argued for natural slavery for yeah. a very very long time people argued for um like fundamental differences between races between men and women um and the idea that there would be a 
things that everybody had in common was actually would be in certain, quite a lot of circles quite radical thing to say yeah um and when cicero for example is writing about this stuff it's not like everybody in the room is agreeing with him they probably were because no one's going to like picking a fight with cicero would be like picking a fight with a fucking door <laughs> um but um still <laughs> they probably did behind his back mm-hmm. um but it was not a position that everybody would immediately agree on and that is the case for a very very long time um and it takes a long time and a lot of changes and backlash and arguing for um universalism to become the a kind of foundational point that everybody can agree on yeah um but you have to agree on that basically um and it's christianity largely that does that in the west a lot of this is western history because the way that we perceive human rights comes from in the enlightenment essentially yeah um and the reformation and therefore it comes out of european thinkers and european uh, political crises mm-hmm. mostly yeah <laughs> um but christianity makes it so that everybody after a few hundred years most people can agree that the concept of a human race whereby everybody has humanity in common is something they can agree on yeah which is not necessarily a good it doesn't have exclusively good outcomes because that's the philosophy that drove you know rampant missionary work as part of colonialism as the british empire expanded across the world and that there are harms from that that exist today um you know that's that's what has led to the like awful awful rates of homophobia among colonized peoples um because they have had this religion given to them as the religion of the oppressed and and that that part of that is homophobia but that was part of you know that's an existing harm yes and an impingement of human rights caused by eventually the christian acceptance that all people were were able to be saved Yes, um, and the concept of natural slash God-given laws um, and the Bible, but that's a human thing. Um, We're now going to skip some years, Mm -hmm. Um, and when I say some years, I mean some centuries. (laughs) (laughs) From Cicero to the 16th century, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Just, you know, a couple of thousand years, it's fine. Yes. What happens during those couple of thousand years in Europe um, is that there is um, the consolidation of a single church, um, and the um, generally the rule of monarchs um, and of absolute monarchs who have um, who have a foundation of the divine right of kings, mm-hmm. um, which is that they are God given, and then this is the that they are literally better than people everywhere else, um, and that this is the rule of it is connected to the church inherently, yeah. um, and that um, also the idea that the state and the individual are two sides of the same coin um which is um that if the state is catholic then everybody in it is catholic yeah um what happens in the 15th and 16th centuries is what we're gonna call uh, the kind of first wave of human rights um discussions essentially mm-hmm. um which is once the power of the church is destabilized with the reformation then people can start talking about things 
um, and talking about themselves as separate from the church and separate from the state um, in ways that they had not really done before. Um, and they this leads to massive religious pluralism, which mm-hmm. we've talked about before, like the sudden springing up of 40 bazillion different types of Christianity. Yeah. Um, all of which are based on the fact that people can access the Bible themselves um, and that they can reject the Pope. Yeah, um, which is part of, uh, because it had been, I, I don't know what the dates are, but it had been illegal in England for at least for the Bible to be printed in a language other than Latin and suddenly it was able to be printed in English so people could read it who weren't yeah. priests. And the idea that you could have an individual faith that was just you and God rather than distilled through saints and through the priests and the priesthood in general was yeah was born um, out. yeah which destabilizes the um, position of that this is happening in the tudor period basically henry the eighth is obviously the big break um but um you have illegal copies of the bible circulating throughout the 15th century mm-hmm. um but the um, it destabilizes the priesthood, which destabilizes the church, which destabilizes then um, governments, essentially. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and you start to get people talking um, about philosophy that is separated from theology and then discussing my new least favorite thing, political philosophy. <laughs> So you get people like Descartes and uh, Thomas Hobbes and John Locke discussing things like social contract theory mm-hmm. um, and natural rights in the um, in the context of social contract theory. So social contract theory, which I'm probably going to explain very badly, but I'm going to do my fucking best, <laughs> um, is kind of espoused or near enough simultaneously by John Locke. Mm-hmm. in English um, and um, Rousseau in French um, and it is kind of this argument that um, the natural state of being um, where everybody is, has their own natural individual rights mm-hmm. um, is a, a state of uh, nasty brutish horror um, sure because everybody is just out for themselves um, and therefore nobody has any protection. Yeah. Um, so they um, basically just, everybody is just stabbing each other all the time, essentially. Yeah. Um, it's kind of the idea that, um, in fact, I say kind of, it's exactly the idea. You know, whenever anybody says, oh, the veneer of civilization is so thin, like if you stop feeding people for three days and everyone will fall into barbarism and like virtually every horror movie that's like everybody is just waiting for the chance to fucking stab their next door neighbor. Yeah, which I believe is not true. Like there have been sociological and psychological studies on on this sort of thing, which generally I believe uphold that people help each yeah. other generally speaking i'm a, a general believer in the fact that they don't but uh, my belief is kind of like i suppose not really social contract theory the social but social contract theory says that everybody wants to fucking stab each other um and it's just desperate for the chance to fall into fighting for their own personal individual rights mm-hmm. um i tell you who loves social contract theory actually is all of those uh, prepper fiction you ever read any prepper fiction no um, so they're all prepper fiction is all like oh um, some disaster is going to happen like and a nuclear strike or the world is going to fall so and they'll be the only people build yourself a bunker and learn how to exactly because the second that yeah. any kind of disaster happens everything is going to collapse and there will just be rapes and murders on the streets yeah um, and then you will be the one strong man who will be able to hold your family safe mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, that's basically social contract theory. But, but the, 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 the social contract part is that people came together um, and created societies and governments um, in order and therefore gave up some individual rights and liberties mm-hmm. in order to um, have the protection of the group, essentially. So yeah. you gave up your right to stab whoever you wanted in order to own whatever they had um in order to not be stabbed by them so that they can have everything yeah (laughs) like yeah exactly um which is a grim view of society basically what then becomes discussed is um do we consent to be governed like this um and who gets to be in charge and how do we decide who gets to be in charge of this society if we all agree to be part of this society mm-hmm. um, and the only reason that society exists is because everybody has agreed to give up some rights um, then surely we should be able to decide and agree upon who is ruling us and how we are being ruled yeah um which really fucks up ideas like the divine right of kings yeah because and it's how you get to like the glorious revolution for example yeah um, and the overthrow of james ii so that they can bring in um william and mary as protestant king and queen in england um because they say we do not consent to be governed by a catholic essentially <laughs> yeah um, and you get the first english bill of rights um in 1689 which is a broad strokes bill of rights but it's like that's where it comes from from john locke's um treatises of government eventually leads to the glorious revolution right Um, yeah which is all as well as well like evolving out of going back to things like the magna carta where it's just like oh oh the king is doing stuff that we don't agree with so we're gonna we're gonna give him a slap on the wrist and try and stop him we really really hate him and we want to have some sort of control over what happens in this country yeah Um, because Um, and we the barons should be like your power rests on us yeah (laughs) therefore we should have Um, a say in what your power looks like mm -hmm, and we want you to stop doing whatever this is immediately john yeah hate you (laughs) Uh, (laughs) sometimes i'm like poor old john and then i'm like nah fuck (laughs) um yeah so out of these kind of things cut to come philosophical conversations all pretty much in protestant countries um Mm -hmm. and france um about who has a right to life is there such a thing as a right to life most very importantly freedom of religion and freedom of belief um and therefore the separation of the individual from the state like if a once uh, europe agrees that a state can choose what religion it is mm-hmm. um which was contentious for a while they're like it can choose to be a protestant state um and to break away from the pope then why can't an individual within that choose to be a catholic within a protestant state yeah um or choose to be a puritan within a more generally protestant state or choose to be whatever they want to be or and um, why do we keep kicking out the jews yeah <laughs> um like, and therefore, what is the role and purpose of a state? Because the purpose of a state up until now has been um, basically that a king rules everybody and everybody does what the king says. Yeah. Um, and they're constantly just trying to fight other people. And that's basically it. Um, but now we start to talk about, well, what's the purpose of a state if it's not that? Um, and um, then how if you have individual religion then you have to be able to say that you have your religion. Yeah. Therefore, you have to be able to write a pamphlet saying I'm a Protestant or I'm a Catholic or I'm a not either of those things um, and not have somebody um, 
censor it or so and have um you know censorship therefore yeah. you have to be a, like people are suddenly in the 17th century start arguing about these things and this is brand new yeah <laughs> um the idea that you should be safe from harm regardless of what yeah belief system and you that you should be able to practice it happily and freely that you should be able to believe what you want that you should be able to write what you want like john milton is really um of paradise lost is really important in um taking down like pre-publication censorship um in britain because there was mm. a lot of censorship of like you can't publish that no <laughs> like official centralized um deciding what gets published and um yeah which and then people start to find like if i can believe it then why can't i publish it uh, and yeah these kind of arguments and um philosophical discussions start to become genuinely appropriate to people's lives um and this is where they get this these beginnings of these thoughts that everybody has civil rights um of yeah. which are using the UN um, Universal Declaration of Human Rights, like the first generation civil liberties, the right to vote. I mean, this is too early for the right to vote, but the right to have a say in your government, the right to write what you want, the right to not be persecuted, the right not to be thrown in prison for what you believe, um, that kind of thing, mm. um, all comes out of the Reformation, basically. Good old Reformation. Yeah. <laughs> Good old reformation. Um, which again also like bloody awful people doing awful things yeah. to each other for quite a long time and then just a, oh maybe that was no, a bad thing. Islay makes the point that every time like everything kind of comes out of deprivation basically and there is a massive backlash every time. Um Yeah. It's the phrase never again has echoed through history time and time again because no matter how many horrible things we do we always find a new one and then we say oh never again and we yeah. just do something different uh, <laughs> we do it in a different way or something e- we do it um, in a different way. or we just do something slightly differently horrible um so that's what's going yeah. on people arguing about whether they should be allowed to be free to um have religion um and then arguing about what the relationship between the state and the person is and the state and the church and the church and the person which then leads into happily another argument that is happening during this time is um the argument between the rationalists and the empiricists um in european philosophy so rationalists are the people who subscribe to the ancient idea of reason above all that you can sit and reason your way out Mm -hmm. of any problem um that is how we get to ideas um like all kinds of bizarre ideas, like sperm are tiny little men. Uh, <laughs> um, and just like, it's based entirely on, this is what I know, so I reckon. <laughs> so I'm going to reason my way to some yeah, sort of conclusion. I'm basically just going to think my way to a conclusion. And if I've made a strong enough argument... And I know that it's true because I used reason to reason get with it. a capital R, yeah. Um, which is grand but then empiricists come along and you get people like Kant um, and the critique of pure reason who's like have we thought lads of using evidence that we can see with our eyes Uh, and a lot of people (laughs) are like "Mm, sounds dumb Um, uh, uh, but the empiricists are like well that sounds very interesting what about what if we look at something under a microscope um, and discover that there aren't tiny little men in there (laughs) Yeah, there are in fact tiny little I know, right? How about um, 
and so yeah. uh, then and then start like you know but basically there are quite long and i'm not even going to pretend that i understand them um arguments over um reason versus empirical evidence and empirical evidence eventually Mm. wins out um because it um convinces enough people to bring in um the enlightenment and the age of science slash scientific reason Mm -hmm. (laughs) um It's just very difficult to argue that you can reason your way to tiny little men when there's someone who has physical evidence of <laughs> yes, not that. Um, like you'd think so, wouldn't you? I mean, not impossible, as we have seen over the last, you know, two years. Um, it's not impossible. People uh, do like difficult. reason a lot, um, and they have a lot of like again reasonable arguments as to why it's totally true. Um, so you're like, oh, fair enough, I suppose. <laughs> um, but it was like reason is. Do you remember when we did the episode on um, like life on other planets? Um, and mm. a lot of the arguments there was um, re- reasoning out whether God had created infinite universes and the world was perfect or not. Um, yeah, it's it's that actually is a perfect example of why reason as a concept is flawed is because people use the same reasoning to come to to different to opposite conclusions like there were philosophers who believed that the existence on life other planets would uh prove the existence of god because why would he assume that that he would just make us and there were others for whom the existence of life on other planets would prove that there was no god because if we are not the center of god's universe then depending on where your starting point is (laughs) depends on where yeah exactly Um, it's good fun it's like uh watching youtube channels uh, of lunatics (laughs) (laughs) it's watching them go down their paths to absolutely wild assertions um Yeah. yeah so um kant is a big uh kind of beginning i suppose of the enlightenment he wrote a whole thing about the concept of the enlightenment he wants um he likes reason but not pure reason and he wants everybody to have kind of free expression um and should be able to talk about what they want um and he is really really important um in kind of kick-starting um this concept of the enlightenment era um Mm -hmm. The Enlightenment is also very much wrapped up in the um, mercantilism, 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 mercantilism. Yeah, I'll go with that. One. Um, and uh, the beginnings, uh, and also suppose the heights really of the European empires, um, because they're also marching into mm-hmm. places and saying, "Hello, we own this now," and they're all becoming everybody in Europe. Well, not everybody, but a lot of people in Europe are becoming very rich. Um, and uh, the more that they meet other people, the more convinced they become that they um, are the very best uh, at what they are doing. <laughs> um, and the, mm-hmm. uh, Which is why they call themselves the Enlightenment and things like that. Um, skipping to the end of uh, the 18th century, because the middle bit is... The middle bit is build up, basically, to two things which happen at the end of the 18th century, which are fundamental um in the human rights Mm -hmm. evolution uh which are the uh, american war for independence 
and more importantly, mm-hmm. the 1776 Declaration of Independence. Followed by yeah. the 1789 French Revolution and the uh, Declaration of the Rights of Man and Citizen. Um, yeah. Which drew very strongly off of the Declaration of Independence. Um, which, you know, which I feel like everyone will know. It starts with, starts with everyone is equal and then bashes on about... <laughs> for a while yeah. And how <laughs> Declaration of Independence, largely written by Thomas Jefferson, uh, begins with, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, the most, that is the fundamental um, founding position of the United States of America also perhaps the most controversial because every person who was involved in writing that owned people um yes and what's interesting is that there was there was when when the declaration of independence was being drafted and when the um founding fathers who were involved at that point i know some of them weren't around until uh the constitution but like like I, I know that Hamilton wasn't around because I've seen the musical, obviously. Um, <laughs> but they were they they were opposed. Like there was opposition to slavery yeah. in those discussions, and there were discussions about including a clause that said we will we don't want to be ruled by England because they are allowing slavery, and we think slavery is wrong and bad. And they were going to phase it out within a few years of gaining independence, but they took that out because they didn't think anyone. Yeah. would vote for it essentially with it included so it's which i think is one of the, just like i mean a staggering example of of how complex and difficult the philosophy is because there is this constant battle between recognizing the rights of others and being and feeling like that recognizing other people's rights is a constraint yeah. upon and being pragmatic um um, yeah. which is what happens in France because they have the French Revolution is chaos um, and any attempt to um, like describe the French Revolution is either going to be 40,000 hours long um, <laughs> or yeah. is going to be two sentences that are wrong so I'm going for two sentences that are wrong <laughs> um, but basically there's French Revolution uh, and they attempt they write the Declaration of the Rights of Man and Citizen um, after they finally uh, kind of get rid of Louis Fourteenth and Fifteenth, um, and um, they are supported in their writing of it by Thomas Jefferson, who is lurking about in Paris at the time, um, and by a guy called Lafayette, who mm-hmm. was had fought in the War of Independence, um, and yeah. they based their um, their revolution on the cry of liberty, equality, fraternity. Um, and the beginning mm-hmm. of their declaration was men are born and remain free and equal in rights. And the aim of political association is the preservation of the natural and imprescriptible rights of man. These rights are liberty, property, security and resistance to oppression. Um, mm-hmm. Which very similar. Um, and they also did scrap slavery. Uh, they brought it back yeah, a nice, while nice later. Um, I think that Napoleon brought it back. Uh, this is the thing about the French Revolution being chaos: is that it unleashes a. It's a real of century chaos. of chaos and of like thirteen different things that are called 
the general assembly, the general consulate, the general something else. The and you're like all of these things yeah, are very different, a... but also have very similar names. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and then there's just a revolution every ten or years or so until yeah. they finally um, that nobody yeah. was involved in. Um, yeah. So they did abolish slavery, then brought it back. Um, but these things come out of um, all of the discussions that have been happening previously about the individual, about um, the concept of unalienable and universal um, humanity and unalienable and universal natural rights that therefore they have. Um, Mm -hmm. And there is backlash to all of this stuff. Obviously, the rest of Europe finds the fact that the French have said all men are born and remain free and equal of rights to be terrifying and horrifying and alien yeah, because thing they believe they're all scared that they're going yeah, to have a revolution like, mm, because france has done one the and, americans uh, have done one yeah. <laughs> um, the po- populace is getting yeah, riled up as far as they're concerned it's good that there was a yeah. century of chaos because it kind of put everybody else off um <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but these things come out of everything that has happened previously and are again in the world um kind of dramatic and radical things to say um and then they start to kick off very real conversations about oh if every man is born equal and free and right then why do we have slavery like at a proper level and also if every man is born free and um every man has natural and imprescriptible rights then why can't i vote um yeah and then If every man has inalienable rights, why not me, a woman? Um, and mm-hmm. immediately in 1791, Olympe de Gouges, which is a fun name to say, um, wrote the Declaration of the Rights of Woman and the Female Citizen in France. Um, and then Mary mm-hmm. Wollstonecraft. At some point in my head, in my youth, I have got into my head that her name is Wollenscraft. Um, <laughs> and I cannot get rid of it. I call her this in my head. I yeah. write it every time. Uh, not a name, <laughs> Wollstonecraft. No, um, Wollstonecraft. Uh, the Wollstonecraft is better, all right? <laughs> yeah. It's nicer to say. Anyway. It is, although it does imply that she's just crafting things with woolens, which I don't think she would appreciate being she associated wouldn't. with, given her writing. She was instead willing some stones. Um, <laughs> uh, she wrote The Vindication of the Rights of Women as a response to The Vindication of the Rights of Man. Um, and immediately... People were saying, well, if this is all people, what about me? Why aren't I included in this? Um, Which is absolutely fair enough. Yes. Um, And we get the kind of beginnings of um, liberalism at the end of absolute monarchies, the beginning of constitutional monarchies properly. um, (laughs) And liberalism as a concept really spreading. Um, which says liberalism is, I feel, used quite a lot as an insult these days, which is fair enough because it was responsible for some rubbish things. Um, and it can be a bit wishy <laughs> Well, I think like nowadays it's just it's just used to be like anyone vaguely on the left yeah. politically, which is not necessarily apt. But kind of classical liberalism as a 18th, 17th, 18th century concept is like basically that the governed should consent to be governed through democracy um, and that everybody mm-hmm. should have liberty should have some kind of freedom and that everyone should have be equal before the law in basics um which is uh, obviously there's entire careers worth of people's lives written into writing more about that that's um beyond me so 
fuck him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> coming out of that, that's the end of the 18th century. We then get into the Industrial Revolution. Yeah. Everyone loves the Industrial Revolution. It's, everyone loves it. It fucks everything up. It fucked everything up. Everything is fucking everything. I tell you, reading this, it was just like century after century after century of fucking misery and fighting mm-hmm. and war and more misery and coups and chaos and war and fighting and misery um, and people writing about it. Um, and it really made me feel better. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was like, oh, it's always. Uh-huh. Um, I forget, I remember I'd forgotten. Yeah, every so often we do an episode that just reminds us that everything has always been awful. It's always yep. the end of the world. Like every year mm-hmm. is the end of the world. Um, and e- there's always a time when everyone there's thinks always that it's the end. Unprecedented and the upheaval point. and strife. Yeah, and there's a volcano always a volcano going, going off. Yeah. And maybe, mm. yeah, made me feel a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> It is very easy to get lost and like, especially now we have like, I don't know, I get like most of my news from the internet. So it just feels like something monstrous and terrible and very, very, very important is happening. Which is true and always has been. Yeah. But it always has been true. Um, This is where we get the second wave of human rights stuff. So now mostly people have agreed that there is such a thing as uh, universalism where all people belong to the human Mm -hmm. race, mostly. Um, slavery has mostly been abolished because of kind of civil rights stuff um, where civil rights refers to everybody having the right to be free <laughs> basically um, and um, people have generally come to the agreement um, that at least most people have civil yeah. liberties rights <laughs> um, <laughs> um, not everyone and it, an important thing to remember at all times is that I would say 86% of people are kind of dicks. Yeah, lots of people um, are total dicks. And it is also worth saying that at every single point in history, the people who have the most rights are the people who have the most money. And that has never changed. Oh, yeah. And, you know, may- maybe will never change. Probably. Yeah. Never will. Um, yes. So the second wave is where you get basically economic, what Inside describes as economic political and social rights um and it's basically a kind of rise yeah, of nice. socialism Sometimes. um yeah because capitalism gets going really hard um <laughs> <laughs> uh, and starts really grinding people up in its horrible and then eventually they say you know what i don't like um, this yeah and people start saying and people also at the top are always saying well that doesn't look very nice <laughs> uh, <laughs> um and you start also uh, the industrial revolution particularly in kind of britain and america really pushes people yeah. all together um so whereas people were spread across countrysides it really brings the working classes all together um creates a real yeah. working class factory jobs um, change women stuff everything yeah and everyone mm-hmm. can talk to each other and say man this fucking sucks man we should do something yeah about someone this. can just be like you know what that'd be um, really fucked if we just stopped working yeah, and why can't why can he vote the guy who owns this factory, but I, the person who work in the yeah. factory, cannot? Um, why don't I get a say in who governs things? Um, and universal suffrage, which is like literally where every man can vote, um, becomes a real issue. And it's quite late that male suffrage, um, like where every man over the yeah. age of twenty five can vote. Uh, it's like the 1830s or something like that. It is. 
not <laughs> recent. Um, um, because, you know, this this is the first time that people start saying, actually, I would maybe... Look, I'm here working really hard and I can see that everyone else is working really hard and I can literally see that the Lord of the Manor who owns this about. factory is, does yeah. not seem to be working very hard. <laughs> um, so why does he get to say and, and, and I don't? Like, uh, and also kind of undid the sort of parochial ideals of you know rural british life where the man who was making all the money and owned all the land was supposed to take care of you and like would would wander around his Mm -hmm. lands and get to know his tenants and put on a christmas do and all of that sort of uh, like very idealized picturesque vision of of pre-industrial revolution life where like yeah you were a farmer and you didn't own anything but the but the lord is a nice chap and he'll he'll send over a a lamb yeah. a legal lamb every christmas and a basket isn't that nice but that doesn't that same relationship yeah. doesn't carry over into factory life that well when they attempt like when victorian people try to attempt to carry it over it just looks really embarrassing like oh we could open an yeah, orphanage we'll just come oh. we'll just turn out to tiny tim's horrible damp house and <laughs> offer him a <laughs> loaf of bread do you know who leo veradka no. is He's an Irish politician. He was the Taoiseach, um, and now he's, like, deputy. Um, but he he's like, probably, like, the most famous Irish politician right now. Um, and he was kind of hailed very much as being, um, like, the future of Irish politics because he is um, he's gay um, and he is um, mm-hmm. mixed race. I think I have um, seen him around, but, but um, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was a doctor. Um, but he is now like a big um, Fine Gael politician. Uh, but he um, once said in an interview that his least favourite book was A Christmas Carol because Tiny Tim should get a job. <laughs> he is a child, sir. He is a disabled a child, child with an injury. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and every time anyone like it just ruined my ability to look at Tiny Tim because now I just hear Leo Verka. You should get a uh, job. Who is also very corrupt? Uh, just going, Tiny Tim, that six-year-old <laughs> should get a job. Yeah, very good. Anyway, <laughs> uh, that that's the kind of thinking that comes from a lot of people. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and through universal uh, fights for universal suffrage comes ideas of universal education. A lot of that comes from John Stuart Mill, um, who argued that there should be literacy tests for universal um, enfranchisement, um, which was also a very common thought and went well into the 20th century. So if you want to vote, you have to prove Um, you can read? Right. Yeah, but you or you should have a basic level mm-hmm. of education, um, which ties into arguments that are happening that children shouldn't yeah. be working in factories, that children should be in school at least until they're the age of eight. Also, if you're going um, to require that people are educated the, before they can vote, then you are you have to provide them with an education. Like you have to make that yeah. available to them and accessible for them. <laughs> you can't just say it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it was um, it wasn't until 1870 that. Um, kids were like it was made that all children up until 12 have to be in uh, in education yeah. they can't be working basically but once um, they hit 12 but that idea that everyone the what yeah they can hit the factory um but that again was quite a you know a radical thing to 
um yeah to introduce uh that um that everybody has a right to be able to read everybody has a right to some basic mm-hmm. education um <laughs> uh, and that in order to in- everybody should be able to engage with their their government with their society in order to be able to do that they have to be able to um read for themselves yeah. what it is um and these things come out of the industrial revolution and the sheer amount of children that had their uh, tiny little fingers ground yeah. off um um don't know I've, i don't remember does it actually maybe tiny tim you know had his little, little leg injured in a factory don't know. we don't know um somebody will probably tell us i don't actually it's know a long time it's since i've read the book instead of just anymore. watching muppets Christ- christmas carol so um, yeah. I'm not. Sorry, somebody can... <laughs> um, so, what this all basically is is uh, the gradual ero- encroachment of socialist ideas that the government should be involved in caring for and legislating for the protection mm-hmm. of its um, of its people, um, and that every but everybody has a rights to things, and that the government's job is to protect those yeah. rights. Um, which again, not a thing that someone in the Tudor period necessarily would have agreed with, um, and certainly not something that yeah. Romans would have agreed with. <laughs> um, and then come the collapse of all of the kind of great empires, um, like the Ottoman Empire and the Austro-Hungarian mm-hmm. Empire, and the beginning of world wars Yay. instead. <laughs> Yay! Um, <laughs> And this is the third wave of everything changing um, because the wars really fuck mm-hmm. everyone up yeah. a lot. Like yeah. a lot, a lot. Um, we get conversations about self-determination, which kind of begin, they begin with the um, Americans, really, and they say we have the right as a country to decide where, who we want to rule us yeah. and who we want to be. We- um, which becomes a really strong national and individual identity marker as being free yeah. and American and yeah yeah and not part of an empire and deciding that you don't want to be part yeah. of an empire um and deciding that this we want to be part of this country yeah. not that country um we are this nationality not that nationality um which leads to the rise of nationalism which is which really is bad. bad and also a form, uh, like a, a <laughs> like just an absolute festering massive debate around what makes you who you are and what makes your country who you are and is it ethnicity or is it culture or is it history and what actually matters the most to you as a person from this place Uh, which is just there's there's no way to say anything nice in discussions like that (laughs) no there's no real way of winning um but it is it becomes a very very important thing that people are talking about as empires are collapsing as the austro-hungarian empire is collapsing and people are saying what is the difference between mm-hmm. a Serb and a Croat? What is the difference between a Pole and a German? What is a German? Yeah. Um, Why do these Austrian and, people you know, get to the, rule over us Serbs, for example? Yeah. Um, and a lot of European nations, nation statehood is a really late invention mm. as well. Um, like we talked about this age and age ago in the First World War um, episode, which is that the idea that um, you can make treaties between two nation states yeah. as entities outside of the monarch, um, uh, which will last beyond the death yeah. of the monarch, um, is radical. Because previously, um, just oh, that and the idea of relevant anymore. 
Nothing we said. Nothing we said counts. Yeah, pretty much. Um, we had an agreement with that monarch, yeah. and he's dead now. Um, and so everything is a free for all. But the idea that England and France, um, as entities, can create uh, agreements is kind of a nineteenth-century thing. Yeah, it also radical. comes out um, of the idea of who of these other countries are most like you, and who who is going to protect you, and who is going to be a danger to you. So who do you need protection from? All of that arises out, yeah. arises out of nationalism as well, really. Yeah. And then also issues like um, the fact that kind of Germany and Italy and Japan and all these places become nation states, like create themselves as countries rather than city states or mm. provinces or parts of an empire um, means that there's lots and lots of conversations about what yeah. is a German what separates a German from a, yeah. an Austrian? Um, and you get the Grimm brothers going around collecting all of the um, stories about like German folk tales and what makes people naturally German. And you get people talking about the German language and creating kind of German national myths that go right the way back to the Germanic peoples of the Roman mm. Empire and da 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 da. Um, all of this builds up, obviously, into a fucking nightmare that causes the First World War, um, <laughs> complicatedly. Uh, and the First World War um, surprises everybody because everybody has all of these big mm-hmm. weapons um, that they can't... Re- it's super hard to defeat anybody in a battle. Um, and it's the First War where you can't just go out onto a battle and have a couple of days of fighting like you could in Napoleon times. Um because everybody yeah, so has big essentially guns the now. only way to fight is um, to hunker down in a gross trench while they fire at you and then try and find a point where you can pop up and fire back at them and just you live there for yeah, a year um, and it freaks everybody <laughs> out um they look at the sheer waste of human life and suffering and misery and apparently unending hardship mm-hmm. and nastiness that is occurring during the first world war um and it weirds people out <laughs> um and this is the first time i mean it scares yeah. people to their core basically like they this is the first time you gotta start getting people say we can't do this again yeah like <laughs> this was this was really bad guys um this wasn't a normal war we we've done wars with you know with the muskets mm-hmm. and the fighting and the like this was this was not good. This is not what I've read about yeah. at all. Um, and this is the first time you get attempts to make supranational entities who will be able to um, can who will be able to uh, arbitrate countries yeah. and nations, um, and who which will prioritize the rights and um, protections of all mankind over the interests of individual states. Um, in order to promote peace, prevent war, encourage friendly relations, encourage the kind of reduction of hardship Mm -hmm. and injustice with everyone um, by getting people to work together for the prosperity of everybody. Um, And they don't say human rights, really, but they do attempt to edge in that direction. Um, And you get the League of Nations and the International Labour Organization, where one is focused on peace and one is focused on kind of work and improving conditions and science yeah. and education um yeah it fails hearts, hearts are in the right place here but <laughs> real bad 
It went real bad. Um, in part because they did decide to punish. They the shit were horrible. Like, um, like Germany was the aggressor in that Germany invaded Belgium to get to France precipitously, which you can hear more about in back in our World War One uh, episode. But, mm-hmm. but it was just a, a war about. It was just a war between nations, and they lost. And because they lost, is the reason they got brutally punished in a way that unfortunately fucked up the entire world for another half century so it did every because everybody in the world was super freaked out by what had happened and super shaken by what they had and seen and they thought that the years, solution was they... simply never to allow germany to have any power ever again yeah, specifically yeah. germany <laughs> um that <laughs> fucked up um and it didn't go well and the league of nations didn't really have the power that it needed to do what it wanted and it didn't really have the buy-in of everybody enough to do what it needed the ilo never really managed to yeah, achieve never much managed to muchness. actually have the authority um, that it needed to have any real impact yeah and the world continued as it did but this was the first time that the kind of the big states of the world had got together and said look we need to we can't be doing this we can't be grinding everybody up and we should do something that brings everybody together as a human race as a universal thing in order to protect the rights (laughs) of everybody which agrees that everybody has rights and which agrees that they should be some kind of attempt to protect it um obviously (laughs) fails and shock horror yeah. world war Two, uh, which is even worse um which is even worse um really crushes the idea that anybody thought world yeah. war one was the great war um and really traumatizes the western world to a degree that it is not even close which to is over. like i think it's important also to remember that a lot of people lived through both like there's not that it's not a big gap yeah. between them. So this is within life, you know. That's this is the thing I always think about, and this is completely, completely ridiculous. But is Ellie Montgomery, who um, the last, if you've ever read the Anne of Green Gables books or one or some of them, the last one is set during World War One. It's about Anne's children during the war, or specifically her youngest daughter, who's like f- fourteen or fifteen when it starts, and uh, then she, Ellie Montgomery herself was still alive during World War II and apparently just, like, never recovered from the fact that it happened again. It just completely flattened her as a person until she died. And, like, yeah, because how could you ever imagine that you let that happen twice? It's horrifying. Yeah. Um, Within And people, you know, young enough to fight in one and old Mm -hmm. enough to fight in another. Um, It was... And it was... It is something that we're not even... Like, haven't dealt with in a kind of collective psychosis way. Um, But the... In the immediate aftermath, in 1944-1945, as what was occurring around the world and what the Nazis had been doing um, became clearer and clearer. And as it became clear that that the Axis Mm -hmm. were going to lose, the kind of... The big four... Um, of the allies came together um, and referred to side referring to themselves as the united nations and they came together in dumbarton oaks um in the us in 1944 um and had a conversation about how they can make it so that this never happens mm-hmm. again um and they wanted a new supranational entity um which would be based on what theodore roosevelt called the four essential human freedoms um which were drawn very heavily on liberal ideas. Um, Freedom of expression, freedom of belief, freedom from want, freedom from fear. 
um, and they uh, so the big four are uh, the USSR, China, US, and UK, um, and they they decide that this is what they are going to they're going to create a United Nations which has a military angle, which has a um, an a diplomatic angle, and which has a, a administrative angle as well, and which will have the power to punish people who break international law and to make yeah. international law and that also um, will have its own international law being a whole new thing like military wing that so it can it can yeah physically enforce separate. you know enforce its practices if people act against it which yeah. the league of nations didn't have so it is giving itself the means yeah. by which to assert its authority yeah yeah um, and when they first kind of start announcing this to people, um, that that's what they're going to do and the four of them are going to rule the world, um, the response of a lot of countries is, uh, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> um, and particularly in South America, for example, people are like, mm, why do you think yeah. that you get to rule the world? Um, how come you guys get to be the um, supranational entity? And a lot of people within the US and the UK um start to say well this looks awfully um male pale and stale <laughs> um and you get people like w.e.b dubois saying like um what about the rights of of people within mm. your countries and people in south america saying what about the rights of um, people who are still yeah. living under empires um you know where do we get to be and there was a huge amount of international pressure um, which forced the UN to both include more countries than just the four, um, but also to include a genuine and institutionalised commitment to human rights and the rights of everyone, to um, all of the rights that had been included, um, that had kind of built up up until now, to civil rights, to economic rights, to social rights, to cultural rights, to family rights, um, uh, and to have that be part of the mandate of the United Nations. Um, and from that, they create the um, committee to write and draft a um, universal declaration yeah. of human rights, um, which is... Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that this is the... The thing, the thing about this that I think is, is exciting is that it does seem like a real genuine effort to discuss this from multiple points of view, uh, which... Which yeah, it really was, in in a way that is pragmatic rather than just academic. I think it's really this is this it is a a um, I don't know what's the term. You know, it's a it's an important stage of progress. It is. It's one of those things that you're like, this is yeah, genuinely well good. You did a thing um, that was good. <laughs> yeah, like they genuinely listened to pressure from people and fr to the voices of people from around the world in different places. Um, to men and women from all over and and heard them and went yeah no you're right we yeah. do need to include that um and they did their best to create a committee of people which was quite varied um so they have it's led by a guy called john peter humphreys mm -hmm. who is canadian a uh, politician guy um and then it has a bunch of philosophers and legal scholars and um activists um from and from around the world so we have um, John Peter Humphreys, he's Canadian. He's like in charge. And then it kind of uh, unofficial second in command is a guy called mm -hmm. René Cassin, who is a French law professor, um, big into existential philosophy and also a um, very strong secular mm -hmm. Zionist. Um, 
So uh, he is provides a real voice for the Jewish people who were demanding, and rightly so, demanding that someone. And because he had personally lost <laughs> um, like and, a lot of people to the Holocaust. Yeah, yeah, like twenty yeah. people in his family. Um, and you know, he lived yeah. through the French occupation. He, you know, um, so he. Um, was a very strong voice up there. Um, Lebanese um, Christian theologian and philosopher um, who was also a member of the Arab League um, called Charles mm-hmm. Malik. Um, a Chinese um, philosopher and legal scholar who was very into um, Confucianism um, called P.C. Chang. Um, a socialist Chilean judge called Hernan Santa Cruz. Um, a social and feminist activist um, from India called Hansa Mehta, um, who is also a very, very strong um, uh, advocate for Indian mm-hmm. independence. Um, uh, Eleanor Roosevelt, yeah. who was, I don't know, <laughs> <just showed> up. <laughs> no, she was also an activist, um, but I do feel like she got the job yeah. on the basis of her husband. She's but like, okay. I'm the first lady, you, you <laughs> invite me or, or you don't do anything. What are you going to do? Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, a trade unionist um, and very strong socialist activist from the UK, uh, Charles Dukes. Um, a soldier, um, like a military guy who became a diplomat from Australia. And then a guy from the USSR called Alexander, uh, who mm, I couldn't find yeah. anything about. Yeah. Just a lad. Uh, <laughs> um but he um so they have like a lot of varied viewpoints and then what they do is they send out like a questionnaire around the world to loads and loads of different philosophers and academics and professors and thinkers and cultural like religious leaders and... and yeah um just everyone that they can think of that they think it would have an interesting or important opinion on what a human right is and what should be included mm. um, in the human right. Um, and over a three-year period, based on a lot of different um, thought processes, they were able to put together the um, Universal Declaration of Human Rights, yeah. uh, which is advisory. <laughs> but yeah and something that they they genuinely (laughs) went for the complicated answer on and they they were they went for the we're gonna get lots of opposing views and talk through them and try to understand each other yeah Um, yeah um also because loads of them didn't speak similar languages it did lead i believe to the un setting up uh a wing for for international education which is also nice hmm yeah, it is nice. Um, and this was the first one that, like, the first of these big declarations, um, philosophical declarations, um, that included everyone, because it the first article is all human beings are born free and equal in dignity and rights. Um, apparently, the first draft was mm-hmm. all men, but. <laughs> um but Hansa Mehta uh got involved and said what about <laughs> yeah. me basically um I'm, I'm right am here am I a man no I'm not um there's two of us um but and she forced them to change it to all human beings but um really a thing that says um all human beings are free all human beings 
have the right to be secure, have the right to vote, have the right to a family, have the right to a freedom of religion, have the right to not be thrown in prison for what they say. Um, and since then, since the Declaration of Human Rights, and particularly since the um, the outcomes of World War II were things like the development of the concept of genocide and crimes mm. against humanity, um, which did not exist prior to that, really. Um, although, interestingly, the first time that the word words crimes against humanity was used was by um, abolitionists, uh, American abolitionists mm. arguing against slavery. Um, but it was kind of, um, as a legal thing, legal principle, it was um, after the um after world war ii um and uh, was about the first time it was used legally was about the armenian genocide yeah. um, but it would became a concept the idea that you can commit a crime against humanity um that is against the whole human race because the human race is a universal thing which shares um yeah. certain rights it becomes part of yeah becomes a big thing um, and it is only post-World War II that it has become an, a debate that people have where all of us were born into a world where human rights feel like something we yeah. were born with. Like, that we literally were in a, a legal sense yeah. born with. That's, that's something we can take for granted. Um, however, uh, however poorly they are protected, it's, it's something that we yeah. have. And it's an argument that we can have without really having to, um, as much anyway, argue, do human yeah. rights exist? Um, there is, um, there are a lot of arguments within political philosophy and within legal theory and stuff about, um, about human rights. Like, are they an individualistic thing that undermines concept of communalism? Yeah, are okay. they... Um, inherently a Western idea that is being enforced upon that um, that is being forced upon kind yeah. of non-Anglo countries. Inherently is it incompatible to have European human rights thing? and cultural rights at the same time? And yeah, do is globalism good for human rights or bad for human rights? Um, what's the role of Marxism within human rights? Is it compatible with? and there's like a billion yeah. arguments about yeah. that of which um and then the tension between security and human rights which came up after 9-11 like all of the do you remember all of the arguments about is it okay yeah. to torture people and there would always be someone on the internet being like what if he has a bomb and he knows exactly where the bomb is going to go off and the bomb is going to kill a three-year-old and you have to the only way that you can get the information out of him yeah. is to torture the information out of him you'd be all right right yeah 24. it also comes um, into things like the trade-off between <laughs> privacy and security like you have a right to be protected but if that means that you go up to your right to privacy so that to ensure your better protection how does that work out and yeah yes um and then questions like a um like the right to asylum is a um a fundamental human right the right to seek asylum in a country and the right to choose yeah. your nationality um which is a big kind of talking point right now because there are a lot of people who think that you shouldn't be allowed to turn up and seek asylum because they feel like it is somehow impinging upon their nationalist yeah. rights yeah. and then there's uh, nationalism is the enemy yeah nationalism the, the only good thing enemy. to come out of nationalism is that you get someone to support during the olympics 
<laughs> even then, sometimes the other guys. Yeah, are just even then, you just outfits. choose someone else because they're oh, fun, right. and that's also fine. So we can just give up nation states, in my opinion. I have a knee-jerk and kind of like very deep-rooted desire to always, but like support. That's, the see, underdog. that works well for me because I'm um, from New Zealand, so we are always the underdog of the. Yeah. Although, actually, I have not looked this up yet. We tend to do quite well if you look at the medal tables per capita. Um. Uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I like to support countries um in the like random sport that I've decided to yeah. watch on just, whatever day. Like I will, I greatly enjoy supporting like Mauritania or something. It'll suddenly become a really very important to me that Mauritania gets bronze medal in. You just pick someone because you like to look at them, and there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, but nationalism is the enemy of human rights. Yep. That's what I learned from this. Uh, political philosophy is mm-hmm. extremely challenging, uh, and everything has always been yeah kind of chaos. It's a disaster. The planet um, is a disaster. Going on, <laughs> people are just very complicated and angry yeah. a lot of the time. Yeah. All right, I think I describe. If I've said anything like really horribly wrong, I'm sorry. I feel I like that's best. that's this that should be our standard disclaimer. If we say anything wrong, we're sorry. <laughs> yeah um but philosophy is really hard and we did do quite what, a lot of centuries, what are we gonna but, do next um, time next time we're going to do something <laughs> gentle to give our <laughs> tiny brains a uh-huh. um i'm going to tell some good stories um and this one comes from chris mm-hmm. mcdermott um and he says i was listening to a podcast earlier today that today will have been about a year ago <laughs> um and it mentioned a uh, story of a poor girl who was kidnapped by pirates while on a ship to Europe and ended up in the slave markets of Morocco where she went to marry the Sultan and become his favourite wife. Um, is this true? Do you have any more details? And do you have any other stories like this where someone has gone from one life to a totally different one in another land? The answer to that is yes. Yeah. I'm sure we can find loads. I'm going to find out whether this is true for you. Um, and then we're going to tell... We're going to find some good stories about people who have completely yeah. changed their lives. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be it's going to be great and it's going to be a lot less dense yeah. than political philosophy yeah uh, and hopefully not have the holocaust <laughs> if you want to ask us a history question you can do that at history60.com you can also support us which will be lovely um, and buy merch I, put, I made a spooky season uh, t-shirt that's in the merch store <laughs> that doesn't really have a lot to do with history but that I think is funny um, and it does, does have, have a skull, a skull on, it. on it and what's more historical <laughs> than skulls um, but I'm really proud uh, of it and it probably yeah, won't be out. we'll probably get rid of it and put something Christmas up and it's, we don't have a lot of space in the store so we might have, just have a seasonal slot and I'm going to come up with something else <laughs> funny for Christmas. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, you can uh, send us emails. You can um, support us and um, find our Twitters and all the rest of it there. Um, and until next time, thanks yeah. for hanging around. Bye. Bye.